Welcome, nerds and geeks, to another episode of Goblins and Guidance. We are the goblins here to give you all guidance. I'm Calvin, and joining me are... David. And Andrew, and we set out to answer D&D Reddit's most pressing questions. Alright, so what's a goblin's favorite superhero? Or supervillain? It's Green Goblin, right? It's not the Green Goblin. It's actually Loki, because he's such a well-written character. Didn't we talk about goblin stereotypes last week? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. You got Come me there. On. We're gonna ignore the tech, but they messed up the joke. You, you racist. Yeah, yeah. I bet you're sex. No, no. And you're racist towards goblins, Andrew. I bet you've never played a goblin in a D and D campaign ever. It's almost like I've only played three. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, I what did I play? Played a fairy. Uh, And then a fox girl, and then fox girl, and then. Uh, what, are you? what was that? Line? What was? What am I now? Oh, random old human. Uh, human, yeah, human. Mm-hmm. I blinked for a second. I should know that. I'm your DM. Should know that. Oh, no, you don't. We're a failure. Mm-hmm. I won't confirm nor deny. Okay, you were guys were supposed to say no, but uh... let's move on. I won't <laughs> not, Calvin. I won't not say no. You can prove your worth Saturday. Yep. Saturday's going to be cool. Anyways, uh, Andrew, what's our first question? Great question. Our first question posted by Zandir. New DM needing somehow balancing a five-player campaign for only two people. I'm wanting to run Call of the Netherdeep for my two siblings, but it's designed for five players. I know in counterbalance and party variety is going to be a huge issue, so what could be some possible solutions? Mm, don't. Yeah, I was gonna say the first thing that popped into my my mind was don't do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you k- try to find more people, if you can't, I mean, there's some other stuff you could do to fiddle around with it. Mm-hmm. Just ask your parents to make more siblings. <laughs> yeah, but then that was, yeah, it would skip take, asking it would take your parents year. to play. Make get them to make more people. It would take mm-hmm. a, it would take a year for people to spawn, and then it would take like another eight or like, so years for them to be competent enough to play. No, no. I have a ten year old sister. She is, she would <clears> run <throat> into like every situation, guns blazing. I would wait a little longer. Okay. Uh, mm. Okay, but like serious solutions. Because obviously they're he's got to do it. Um, do it. Well, you could just reduce like stats of monsters if you just want to be a little lazier, or you could have some DM PCs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you could reduce the number of monsters. Oh, excuse me. Uh, you could have each of your siblings make two characters. Um. That that's not half bad. I mean that that would be a little easier than you making uh, three DMPCs, mm-hmm. and exactly. a five player camp- campaign can be done with four pretty fairly easily. Yeah, and you can always like pudge rolls. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you can give them like uh, max HP for every level up. Yeah. Mm, um, just give them items that make them seem cooler. You can play the encounters really stupidly. <laughs> yeah, except not the goblins because they're intelligent species. Yeah, 
no, uh, but we... but seriously, like, try to invite a friend or ask your siblings to invite one of a couple of their friends or something. Because yeah, this would be better if you just kind of like filled out your table a little more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially since I'm assuming your siblings are new at this, so having them run two characters might be a lot for them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like. It's doable. Definitely. It's do it's gonna be doable, but there's gonna be a lot of snags, so you really should find more people. Yeah. Or find Sir. or find some other campaign to play, I'll not go lie. <laughs> he only has two siblings. His uh his parents didn't do the the shebang, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As they say, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of an L. Okay. <laughs> no, keep, keep, please keep going. Yeah, come on, dude. Uh, Andrew, you want to make some children? No. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, should have stopped you earlier. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, what I'm saying. Okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> All right. What's our next question? Our next question is from Balan Fight Addicted. Almost balloon fight, but they're missing a no. So I'm not pronouncing it that way. All right. uh, what is your dice hot take? You don't uh, need well, more of them. You do not need. That no, is a lie. Hot my, my hot take is lie. that Calvin all of has too dice. many. Calvin has too many dice. I don't have enough. My dream. Also, my dream. Quick is trivia: to... Balin without balloon without the O is is ball in French. Ballon. Alright, man. Yeah, okay. No, no. My dream, though, is to one day own enough dice to take a bath in it. Oh. Uh, I, hope, I hope when you take a bath, you have a lot of D4s that are as sharp as Alex. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. We have this friend who bought this set of dice, and the D4 is literally a needle. Like, you hit that into someone, and it'll make a square-shaped hole. Hear that? Hear that, Calvin? Mm. No. No. <laughs> um. I mean, there's a lot of. There, I I've got a lot of opinions on dice. First off, the D12. Uh, while the most underused dice is the best looking dice. D12. Yeah. I mean, look at it. It's pentagons. No, the D20 looks better. No, it's a D12. It's <clears throat> pentagons. As I like well, the no, pentagons like the are the best of gods. Mm, I like the D6 because mm. Yahtzee jokes. D6? Yeah, but the D6 doesn't look cool. Right. But the well, Yahtzee jokes. Well, we don't think the D6 looks cool because it's the most basic dice. Yeah, but it's also just a bunch of big squares and it's boring. What's any of these shapes but a bunch of big shapes well except the d20 which is a lot of small shapes which is cool okay but like okay the d20 the d4 the d8 uh heck even like the d10s they're all just triangles mm-hmm. the As d12 opposed is the only one that's triangles. wow just because you're quirky doesn't mean you're cool he's got a point 
Mm. And in this case, it, it does. In this case, it does. In this case, it does. And most often, the pet, uh, the D12 is the most like legible without getting like too big, like a D6. Yeah, I can, I will say that the size is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what is another DD hot take? Dice hot take. One pair is all you need. No, no, that's a lie, and you know it. No, you need more than one set. Yeah, it's only rogue. The only reason you're you're gonna lose one, and then that then you're screwed. The only reason you get more than one is out of convenience for your. Honestly, that's all. No, it's because I have an addiction, and they're aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's because I have it. Calvin is. Ah, well, you could spend your money on worse things. That's true. Could you? Are there? Are there worse uh, things? You can spend them drugs. on, like, I don't know, like uh, mm, Genshin Impact rolls or something. I don't That's know. True. Yeah, no, exactly. Who would ever do that? I don't know, Andrew. <laughs> Who would ever do that? Who would ever spend money on a gotcha game? Not me. Andrew. I... Wait, is this. Do you think I spend money on gotchas regularly? I know you've done it before. I know what you've done, Andrew. Yeah, not spend money on gotcha. You've, you've done it before. I know. No. Yes, you have. You told me about it what that one time. No. For any of the viewers out there, gotcha games, they're a trap. <clears throat> That's true. Just like Andrew. I mean, what? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't have any other dice hot takes. I was thinking you could use a dreidel as a d4. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a... I have a... It's not a d4. I think it's like... I don't know where it is right now. It is like... It's a customized dreidel for this... Uh, a different game. Hmm. But it's basically... Like, I think... A D6 or something, but in dreidel form. A hex dreidel. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but it's it's for a simple game called uh, Take and Put. Uh, everyone starts with like X number of coins, and uh, you go around the circle spinning the dreidel. Uh, mm. There's yes, there's a. Uh, Put one, put two. Uh, I don't think there's a put all, but there's like a take one, take two, take all. I don't know what that last one is because I don't have it in front of me anymore. And you just go till um, someone has all the coins. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's a fun game. It's an easy Makes game. to me. It's, mm. it's, it's uh, small too, so you can just like kind of play it whenever you're bored and stuff. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. On to the next question. Mm-hmm. All right, this one is posted by u slash Catasaurus Rex with a K. Negatives to being resurrected. So last session, my players fought a up the So last session, my players fought a young red shadow dragon. One of my players, an Air Genasi, died to his necrotic breath weapon. 
because my players have been having a ton of fun role-playing their Karen characters and I don't want to take that away from them, we're having a solo session that will most likely end in the character coming back to life. However, my question is, what would be a fun, couple fun, relevant negatives they could have that won't fundamentally impact or hinder their character? The only idea I had was that they could possibly take 1d4 to 1d6 psychic damage when faced with necrotic damage or have disadvantage on a dragon's frightened presence ability due to, like, PTSD. I'm just not sure how often they'll come up or how to do it properly. We play 5th edition. Any advice is welcome. Thank you. Then he comes up with an edit. The player has had suggested this himself for his character and wants me, as a DM, to come up with something. I will not impose any change to his character that he is not okay with. That's good. Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, I was thinking, like, since he died to the necrotic breath weapon, that he would have some scars, right? And he would be, like, really, like, mutilated or something. And you want to know how I got then, these scars? You want to know how I got these scars? I and then, died. so if he. <laughs> I died. So, and then, um,. If he makes like a charisma check towards a stranger, he has like disadvantage yeah, or something. But that would be kind of, kind of annoying, because that's a lot of disadvantage if he ever wants to role play. Mm-hmm. And he says he doesn't want to fundamentally change the character. So, personally, I would. Do a fundamental character change, not nothing like too big. Like we're not changing who they are, but like, yeah, like giving uh, them a fun um, other or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm looking down at the uh, at the comments right now. Uh, I like this comment from Eggmeister sixty nine. Uh, they have a couple of uh, ideas. Uh, the first one. Maybe they have to change religion, uh, the godly priest, or like they get like a patron, uh, or maybe they're like resurrected as, with one level of warlock, and now they have this um, a deal with the devil or something. That's the reason why they're still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense to me. A deity resurrects them, but the player has to f- fulfill a quest their character would normally be against. Uh, if they're revived because of an item, maybe they have to carry a locket or a ring that makes a re- resurrection possible. Uh, maybe go as far as having the PC's soul in there. Uh, so you, now they have this, like, have a that they have to, horcrux. yeah, they have a horcrux that they have to uh, protect against, or else they're just dead immediately. Or maybe, like, if someone else steals it, then their body just goes limp, and then you have to, like, Put the locket back on their body. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but while it's limp, it's technically dead. So, like, it could, like, rot and stuff. So, you have yeah. to do it quickly. That'd be cool. Um, the PTSD idea is good. Yeah, um, yeah, I do like that. I don't know if it would be, instead of, like, psychic damage, I would do it more, like, immobilized or frightened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, uh, in Ghost of Salt Marsh, I kind of I have two stories from ghosts that kind of apply to this because we have that one, uh, where one of the PCs had a nightmare where everyone died to giant frogs. So <laughs> now 
whenever he saw a frog on the start of his turn, he had to roll a wisdom save, or he was frightened for that turn. Sure. Uh, and then in another situation, one of the PCs actually did die, but it was it was such a weird like combat. And it was so such an insignificant combat that I didn't like it story wise to have the characters die that way. Uh, so I brought them back, but he wanted to make his character a little more interesting. So we decided to switch his race from a regular human to the reborn mm-hmm. uh, race. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. All right. So in the new movie, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, right? Oh, hell yes. Dude, such a good movie. Everyone listening has to go watch it right now. It's so good. Anyway, After so you uh, finish the rest of this episode. So minor spoiler alert. Skip a few minutes ahead or a minute ahead. Right. So there's... The bad guy, the wolf, right? <laughs> the and big bad wolf. Wait, have you guys seen Puss in Boots? No, I've but I'm probably not Boots. going to. No, you should. It is incredibly good. I've I've seen clips of it, so like I know the characters at least. Mm-hmm. It's better than like anything Pixar has come up with in the past five years. That's like, cool because I haven't has, watched anything Pixar has come up with in the past five years. And also, I think you mean DreamWorks. No, I mean Pixar. Like it's better than Pixar. Oh, like Dream DreamWorks. DreamWorks really popped off on this one. I don't think I've watched uh, a movie I, at I all in like the past five years. Rich. Pixar has made some pretty good stuff lately. Mm. This this movie was like better than Soul. Okay, like, it, but like better than is it better than Luca? what? What else? Come Luca out? was pretty. Cool. Yeah, it's better than Luca. So is it's better Bell. than Luca. It is better than Luca. Mm. That's valid. Mm-hmm. And Luca was just like it just existed to me. No, and the animation is like phenomenal. It's like it's like it's sort of like into the Spider Verse, but also it's like a paint aesthetic. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so basically uh, minor spoiler alert. Um the wolf is is death, right? Yeah. Like death personified. And so because Puss in Boots has died eight times, right? Death is like coming after him so one way one thing you could do right is after you be resurrected like you could have like some like grim reaper character chase after the party that would be cool yeah that'd be cool Mm -hmm. it is cool so ultimately it comes down to what you as the dm want to include as part of the story and Mm -hmm. what you're willing to use yes sir uh, any other ideas, or should we move on? I think we can move on. Okay. That's all I got. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. Uh, what is next? Andrew? Next, we have use, user, user honey underscore bear underscore 36. DM changed the rules, changed the rules on me. That's, no, that's not a great title. Nope. So the other night, me and my friends were playing, and we were fighting this boss scorpion monster. I was a druid, and had wild shaped into a giant constrictor snake to grapple and restrain it. The sorcerer, not wanting to do any damage to me, cast immolation on the monster, and it failed its deck save. The DM said because I was grappling it, I should make it save too, and take some fire damage because I'm wrapped around the creature. I was upset because the spell said you target one creature, so rules as written, I shouldn't take any damage. 
I get that it makes sense that I take some damage, and if that's the rule, that's the rule. I'm fine with the DM changing things to fit the table. However, this felt unfair because the DM seemed to make that distinction up on the spot. The whole point of the sorcerer was they were trying not to damage me, and if they knew that I was going to take damage anyway, they might have used a different spell. I just accepted the damage and we moved on, but it definitely irked me and felt unfair. What do you guys think? What what should have been the ruling? TLDR DM changed the rule so I would take more damage. <laughs> I think I don't. I don't think the DM changed the rules on them. As I say, no, that sounds mostly and, valid to me. Oh, oh, like I kind of, as a DM, I'm a little upset that they're upset that the DM had to make a rule up on the fly because that's all we do. <laughs> what you don't have everything don't do pre- you don't have everything preordained already. I mean, we don't really do that. I mean, uh, not like any, not all the time anymore because we've played a while. But like, if you're starting out, uh, yeah, you definitely make up a lot of shit on the fly and like decide stuff. Um, but I, I quickly looked up the spell immolation, and the spell description says flames wreath one creature you can see within range. The target must make a dex saving throw. So it's like. Uh, if it was happening in real life, like you're, it's not like burning on the inside of the creature, like it is engulfing them with flames. Mm-hmm. So to me, it makes sense that if you're hugging that person, you're gonna get hit too. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, also since it's grappled, Ooh. it can't, it can't make the deck safe, right? Um, pretty sure. Mm. I always have to like relook up conditions. Grappled. It can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. Condition ends. No, yeah, I think the grapple makes just sense. makes your speed become zero. Okay. I think it makes sense because, I mean, obviously, you're so hugging the you're, dawn fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're wrapped around them. And they probably did have other spells that could have worked better to uh, just damage the white creature. Yeah. But they chose this. They also have... The sorcerer could have used a... uh, uh, It was a sorcerer, right? I think so. They could have used metamagic... Which one was it? I know there's a meta magic that lets you like switch up targets. Mm-hmm. Careful spell. So like I think the DM like after telling him, okay, you could do that the DM should have gone, okay, you could do this, but it will uh hit them as well. Instead of I was gonna telling say... them it has to do it after <clears throat> the fact that they cast a spell. Yeah, I think um I think if you wanna change the rules from what is rules that's written, you need to have player consent. Yeah. Uh, and you, I mean, sort of player consent, but you at least need to let them change you your mind. It. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely and, need to preface it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think the DM is very, I guess, not honest, like not open about it. And that's the bad thing. Like he didn't, like the pl- players didn't know that he was going to do it, and then it's again, it's not part of the rules, so that's why they're bad. <laughs> I, I, again, I don't think 
anyone is bad in this situation. I just think it was handled a little poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the DM, the DM didn't know it was going to happen either. He just like kind of like read the spells like, oh, okay, this makes sense that like it's going to burn. He should have prefaced like before the attack was made, like this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the main thing. Early, Other than that, like, yeah. not even like have to preface it before because you don't know when uh what spell people are going to use but like after he casts the spell and stuff be like okay this is what's going to happen and then give the player the option to change his mind or the option to uh spend a a sorcery point to make it a careful spell Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but obviously in the the heat of the moment you know yeah it's hard to think about that kind of stuff so I mean, what's done is done, but next time, player consent, okay? It's very important. Consent mm-hmm. is important, guys. In every context. In every context. Unless it's like a surprise birthday party, then you don't need it, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, right. you need someone who, if you're doing it in a house, you need someone who lives there's consent to throw it. What if, they're, what if the person Otherwise, you're you're is the only person living in the house? <laughs> you're right, you're right, my bad. <laughs> okay. So what, you can't throw surprise birthday parties for people who live alone? No, nope. or at least it's not impossible. at their house. It's impossible. Unless they don't lock their doors, am I right, guys? Or you just, like, set it up somewhere else. And to be fair, that's just entering. That that, that's, that's omitting the breaking part. It's just entering, so. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And if you're not breaking anything, it's not against the law. Is that how that works? No. Yes. Believe me. Trust me. Trust me, he says. Right. 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 Our next question is from Professor Vikos. Using Gust Cantrip to blind enemies. I want to make rules for using the Gust Cantrip to blow dirt in people's eyes and blind them. On the face of this, it seems pretty simple. Maybe a deck save or be blinded. But the question remains... Does the blind effect end on my turn, their turn, or can they use an action or reaction to wipe the dirt out of their eyes? Uh, does it increase in power as other damaging cantrips tend to do? Single target or AoE cone effect? I have a few thoughts, but I would love to see the ideas and thoughts you guys have. I don't think it would take an action to wipe it away, because you're just moving your hand. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there's other effects, there's other spells that set people on fire or something and it caught it they have to take an action to like bat themselves out um, right but like that is a little more work than kind of just wiping your eyes clean i was gonna yeah, say yeah that's, that's kind of like stop drop and roll sort of thing yeah i maybe Versus... i would have wanted to be like a free thing though too because or else it's just kind of pointless no i think you should make like a constitution save con save or like something because Right, be a deck save. I feel like the deck save makes sense to like deck save to dodge out of the dodge or, the or like dirt. block it or something, you know. I think the blind effect. Well, okay, deck save to dodge it in the first place, but once you're blinded, right? <laughs> maybe you need an open hand because if you're holding a sword, it'd be kind of hard. And not really, because you got your back of your hand and stuff that you could use to wipe away. Then deck save to make sure you don't stab yourself. Yeah, you know what? That's valid. 
then and then it's a free action, but you fail the deck save, you hit yourself. Oh, oh, that's your your sword damage. Oh, mm-hmm. um, it would be a, I'd say it would be a cone effect, or not. Or, gust. So you, let's look at the gust uh, cantrip. Uh, you could have. All right, so the gust cantrip says you seize the air and compel it to create one of the following effects at a point you can see within range. Uh, range is 30 feet, by the way. Uh, there's three possible effects. Uh, one medium or smaller creature that you choose must succeed on a strength saving throw or be pushed up to five feet away from you. You create a small blast of air capable of moving one object that is neither held nor carried and that weighs no more than five pounds. The object is pushed up to 10 feet away from you. It isn't pushed with enough force to cause damage. Uh, or three, you create a harmless sensory effect such as air, or using air, such as causing leaves to rustle, wind to slam, shutters closed, or your clothing to ripple in a breeze. So all of these effects, or, you know, at least the first two, only affect one thing. Yeah, so... so the one creature not, or one not a cone. So I... I think, at first, at least, it's a single target, but maybe over time, like, damaging cantrips, that effect could grow. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't see any other way for it to increase in power. Uh, besides, like, increasing the area of effect. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, th- I think that, yeah. I yes. This is a weird one. Ooh. For as a DM, I, I like this kind of ingenuity of using this cantrip, not how it's explicitly written. Right. So I, I feel like I want to reward the player by leaving. Uh, the character blind for a second, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm having a real difficulty, like trying to figure out what, like, when the effect should end, because it it shouldn't be long, because it's a cantrip. It's not like you're gouging his eyes out or anything yeah. like that. Um, well, I think honestly, you could just have it, and then the next turn, he can basically just free action get rid of it. But until his turn, he's blinded, right? So. Any That's attack rolls against the creature have advantage for that one turn, which is already pretty good. Okay, I could see that. So, like, the start of their turn, um, and I would even take it a step further, like, it's either that or the creature could use their reaction to do it, which is pretty yeah. powerful because that means they can't get an attack of opportunities um, until their, like, next round. Yeah, and blinded is a pretty intense condition. Because yeah. you, you, all your attacks have disadvantage. Mm. All their attacks have advantage. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. That's uh, how I would do it. Curious to see what other people have to say. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm. Next question? Yep. Yeah. All right. By you slash OK underscore grocery underscore 8395. PC high AC and how to challenge them. Oh boy. I have a player with a 24-ish AC and as much as I try not to flub my rules, I do not want to find ways to challenge this 
player. I do want to find ways to challenge this player. What can I do to throw some challenges toward him while also not overpowering my lower AC characters? Very simple. Saving throws. I was going to say, just, just saving throw attacks. Saving uh, throws stealth and, missions. and stealth missions. <laughs> They're a little fucked at that. Uh, right, David? Yeah. 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 Also, uh, just throwing it out there, uh, attack them when they're asleep. Yeah. Yeah. They can't wear their armor when they're sleeping. And if they are wearing their armor, they have exhaustion, which yep. is a whole other set of problems for them. <laughs> no, Kelvin's campaign is actually so cancer, man. I wake up <laughs> and I have great. less AC than the wizard. You wake <laughs> yeah, because you, you have, have less... like no decks. <laughs> you wake up and you have less yeah. AC than a maid. Yeah. This is terrible. Um, or you can ignore them and shoot everyone else and then have like a 5v1 at the end. That's true. Just overpower that's, them. That's, Get a bunch of wolves. True. They have advantage. Uh, eventually, yeah. then eventually your numbers will overtake them. With, yeah, when there's 20 dice rolling, you're bound to get at least a couple to nat 20s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm looking through comments there's obviously there's the the rust monsters uh that just destroy armor and stuff like that okay oh yeah well that sucks because my armor is like 1500 gold yeah ow uh but yeah rust metal um the 89 magical weapon made a metal that hits the rust monster corrodes after dealing damage though if it takes a permanent and Cumulative, cumulative minus one penalty to damage roll. If its penalty drops to minus five, the weapon is destroyed, and they have a similar thing to uh, AC. They have their antenna. The rust monster corrodes a non-magical ferrous metal object you can see within five feet of it. The object isn't being worn or carried. The touch destroys a one-foot cube of it. If the object is being worn or carried by a creature, the creature can make a DC 11 dex saving throw to avoid the rust monster's touch. Uh, if the object touched is either metal armor or metal shield being worn or carried, it takes a permit and cumulative minus one penalty to AC it offers. Armor reduced to an AC of 10 or a shield that drops to a plus zero bonus is destroyed. The armor touched is a held metal weapon. It rusts as described in the metal rust trait. See? So they just eat uh, at your tank. Yeah. That sounds like a nightmare for <laughs> me, the tanky character. <laughs> well, like, I'll, be, I'll be the tank pretty soon, too. I like uh Yeah, but you're, you're unarmored defense. So. That's true. Yeah. yeah, but like that has its own set of weirdities. Oddities. Mm-hmm. So, so this... uh. Another person, Hyper Hippo, uh, says, heat metal and watch them cry. <laughs> I love that spell. I, we <laughs> should move on to the next question, actually. Um, Why? Uh, this is, <laughs> this like, is a little too to personal. Your character? No, we're... Oh. <laughs> oh. Alright, it's time to make some um, hardwood chain mail, guys. Hardwood chain man. <laughs> but I have a good story about heat metal. No! 
<laughs> in my in my first campaign ever, I was playing an artificer. Uh, we oh. went up against this pirate who had a hook for a hand. So I was just like, I'm going to cast heat metal on that because they can't drop it. So they'll always be taking fire damage and it be a disadvantage on all their attack rolls. It was great. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Right, Andrew, what do we, what do we got going? Uh, God. I'm glad I have an arm. Now I'm glad I have an armor defense. Mm-hmm. at this question posted by load. There we go. User slash beginning ambition 98. Melee attack plus cantrip. Starting a new campaign soon, and one of the players wanted to dual, quote-unquote, dual wield a weapon and spells, cantrips only. In short, he wants to be able to make his normal attacks with the MH and use a cantrip as an offhand we- attack in the same round. I am new to DMing, and my gut instinct is to say no, simply because it feels like it could disrupt party balance pretty significantly and make other classes classes slash subclasses more or less redundant in comparison. But I suck at math, and I want to present them with the proper answer. Any experienced DMs that could help me out here? Am I right in thinking this is overly OP? Rules as written, you straight up can't because cantrips have action casting times specifically, don't they? Or at least Most like, of them, but let's say have a bonus action. Yeah, I was gonna say, specifically bonus action ones can be bonus yeah. actions, but if it specifically says an action casting time, then it has to be an but, action. Yeah, you just, you can't. Uh, yeah. But I think what this person wants should do just play an Eldritch Knight. <laughs> it's literally the I want to stab and then cast a spell. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Wait, let's let's look at Eldritch Knight. Um, literally at level seven, they have a feature called War Magic. Uh, beginning at seventh level, would you use your action to cast a cantrip. You can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's what you want. Just tell them to do that. Hey, play this. Play just play this, dude. Yep. Uh, there's also Blade Singer uh, Wizard. Cause that's just the wizard who like. Oh, I like swords as well. Oh yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there's like Hexblade Warlock. There's Hexblade Warlock. Uh, there's I don't know if there's a a swordy sorcerer. Uh, there's Arcane Trix- Trickster. Uh, uh I mean, I... Rangers are just half casters already. They could do swords. Artificers even just half yeah. casters. Uh, are in Saladin. Because Paladin... Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so... Those can't do it in the same turn, though. Those can't do it in the same turn. The The best option for him is going to be the Eldritch Knight. Yes. <clears throat> Let's see. The only, like... The best damage... The best damage cantrip is, like, Firebolt... Okay. Uh, I don't know. So, all right. I'm thinking about it. Sorry, I I wanted I was looking into this Eldritch Knight fighter. Uh, you could do a, a cantrip and then a your bonus action to attack, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Singer Wizard at level six. Uh, they get an extra attack, 
Starting at 6th level, you can attack twice instead of once whenever you take the attack action on your turn. Moreover, you can cast one of your cantrips in place of one of those attacks. Oh. So it's the same thing, but but uh, you do it uh, just as your action. It's not. It doesn't take up your bonus action. Uh, so it could be... So it's better. And it happens so you earlier. Can... You don't have to wait for 7th level. Yeah, so you can attack cantrip then bonus action, do another cantrip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can dual-wield weapons, right? And then you take the feat that lets you use a weapon as a focus, arcade focus. And so then you do... I think it's war war, war magic? No. Warcaster? Um, Warcaster. Oh, yeah. You can pour the somatic components of spells when you have weapons or a shield in one or both hands. Okay. Uh no, that doesn't use it as a focus though. But no. I mean, most cantrips don't need materials, right? Yeah. So so then you do that, right? And so then you attack, then you cantrip, then you use your bonus action to do dual wa- dual dual wielding. Yeah. You do another stabby step. So mm-hmm. your best bet is blade singer wizard. Yep. You will be squishy. You will be squish. squishy. Squish squish. Uh, All right. Up next. Up next is my turn. What do I have? It's loading. Damn it. <laughs> What'd you do? Uh, I was removed by the moderators. Okay. Up next. <laughs> uh, because it was a problem player question. Oh. Uh, I hate problem players. I forgot players. about that new uh, thing. I hate uh, mega threads. They're so annoying. Mega threads. The thread is so mega. All right. I'm going to read the first one of the mega threads thing since they stole my question. Okay. Uh, This is from uh, Juicy Guas. I'm never going to be able to read that because it's not a real word. Uh, so okay. I have a player who wants to re-roll a new character. No big deal, that can be arranged. The thing is, he wants to create this one. This incredibly min-max cheese bugbear ranger fighter that can do insane amounts of damage in one round. I have no problem necessarily with min-maxing. Some people just have fun that way. But he's keen to give up a character I've worked hard to tie into the story for. Uh, for what I see as a soulless one-trick pony. How do I navigate this situation? I don't want to really say no, as I've let another player run Mercer's Echo Knight in the past, which is also quite strong. I suggested looking at casters for party comp, currently running fighter, ranger, cleric, barb, as another marshal would really leave the party lacking in that department. I also suggested he come up with a really good uh, story reason, and in that case, I would allow it. Any advice? Um. Well, so he's one trick ponying Echo Knight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. No, no. Uh, no. He he let another player run Mercer's Echo Knight in the past. He he wants to make a a Ranger fighter that just does a lot of damage and one around it. That's basically it. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, so he's like the the min maxing kind of player, right? Yeah. Uh, 
But uh, so the, the DM's main problem, uh, what it seems like to me, is that there's no uh, story reason so far for why this character should leave um, and like be replaced with this random guy that doesn't do much uh, roleplay-wise. Okay. He just wants to switch out his character? Yeah. Basically. Well, if you don't want him to, then don't. I mean, yeah, but that's... You want to keep it fun for your players, which is why, like, sometimes you want to say no, but because story-wise, it, it wouldn't make sense. But then that player is just going to be extremely bitter. It's going to ruin the campaign. Uh, uh, or uh, until he leaves, and then you have to get a new character anyways. So there's no point in fighting. You gotta, you gotta choose your battles as the DM. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an awkward it's, one. <laughs> it's really like how much you know the player, and if you can successfully convince him not to do it, then do that. But if you can't, then because any, I any... guess you can let him run with it, and then, and then, and then you don't like it, and then you kill him off. I feel like any way you'd get a new character in, like, unless, like, it, it's a very situational, like, arbitrarily taking out one character and bringing a new one in, if it's not straight up, oh, they're dead now, and then you just stumble upon, it, even that's highly, heavily contrived, though, so, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess it also depends on the campaign you're going for, because, like, um, like, if... Like if the story does matter a lot to you, then yes. Like this is this sucks. Like I wouldn't do it. But like if it's more of a laid back, like we're just gonna explore and do a bunch of funny shit, then I mean, I guess it's fine. Like that's kind of how I ran found over. Like there was someone like uh, one of my players kind of wanted to switch out their character. Like they they never ended up doing it, but um. I told them like, yeah, no, this is late. This is laid back. It's not too serious. Like, if your character wants to leave, I mean, go for it. But the next, the next campaign ad that I'm planning on, it's yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is not. This is awkward. Yeah, it, it's highly situational. Like, it, it depends how. <sighs> My gut is to telling me that, like, if he's if he's not having fun with his character anymore, then making the switch might be the best move. But what you, what I think you should do is like take him aside, have a good long conversation with him about uh, why your old character is leaving. Uh, go in depth with the new character's backstory try to flush him out a little bit uh, and then take a good long minute to uh, switch things out and tie him into the story because like the DM's main thing is that he's he's worked really hard for the current character uh, like tying that into the story uh, background wise and stuff so it's it's got to be a lot of work on the DM to mm-hmm. untangle that web a little bit but it sounds like it's something that needs to happen yeah as as we always do give the dm more work 
Yeah, Calvin. Our forever DM. Woo. Yeah. Oh. Thank you, Calvin. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that should change soonish at school, at least. Hopefully. Yeah. Hoping to get a, a, a group started up at, uh, uh, this semester. Yeah, at Northern Idaho University, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Go, uh... Camels. I don't know what animal. Hey, go camels. <laughs> yep. Go camels. Go camels. What even is there in Idaho other than like potatoes? Shouldn't you know? Yeah. You go to Idaho University, don't you, David? No, I go there, right? And and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I, I live in Indiana. Hmm. And I live in in northern Indiana, where uh, Flint, Michigan is. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, what's our next question, David? All right. For our next question. Player hates combat. Wow, that's a new one. <laughs> what? By wait, I didn't know people hate combat. By you slash. Uh, I'll nice. just spell it out. J-V-O-S-I-K-A. One of my players hates combat. He's played D&D forever until I came along. He was a forever DM. If he had his way, D&D would be 10% exploration, 5% combat, and 85% roleplay. The other players like my combat encounters just fine. He says he doesn't like combat because he hates waiting 15-20 minutes per turn based while the other newer players take their turns. He plays a wizard and his turn takes all but two minutes because he's planned and very experienced. Is there a way to engage this player more during combat? No, uh, one just you're no. playing with. It no, sounds like he's with, a dick. No, yeah, you, you like, you're, if you're playing with new people, you have to understand they're gonna take time. They're gonna That's take fair. time because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like even uh, after one campaign with them, like even after one campaign, I feel like if I was playing a spellcaster, I'd still be kind of fumbling and like, what the fuck do I do? That's kind of why I'm playing a fighter now. I can just say, all right, bam, bam, thank you, step, man. Step, step. Yeah, the thing, the thing is though, like. Like, you don't want to be sitting for 15, 20 minutes. And I don't think he's exaggerating either, right? Like, he's probably not, but like, they're new people and you have to understand that and you have to just be patient with them. If you, you want, yeah. if you want faster combat, go find a more experienced table. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's you, you, you're just going to need a different table at that point. Yeah. I think after a few sessions, though, that you should. Because let's say it's one ten rule, right? Mm-hmm. So you have, you have if you're playing with five other people or four other people, right? You have four minutes to plan your turn, like he yeah. does, and then, and then even if something changes, like even if you change your mind, like I don't, I feel like, I feel like after a few sessions, you should be able to know about your character enough to be able to implement 110 rule or like two minutes per turn right Uh. so and also i think like if you're just sitting around until your turn and then you're like oh what do i want to order it's like it's like yeah it's like you're standing in line at a fast food restaurant and you haven't been thinking about what you want to Mm -hmm. until you get to the counter and if that can piss people off then it makes sense for this to piss him off. 
Yeah. So I think that 110 rule is a great way to get started. Um, even if they are new players, because they should be actively thinking about the game, even when it's not their turn. Yeah. But, um, like, we don't know that they aren't. Because, like, D&D is a pretty complicated game, and there's a lot to think about, especially when you're new. And if so, you need to ask questions, you can't kind of exactly ask a question in the middle of someone else's turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's why you should wait until like, a few sessions in. But but I think that 110 rule is like a godsend. <laughs> um, I, need, I need a physical timer. I don't like using my phone for the 110 rule. Yeah. I forget about it. I think, uh, yeah, I I will say that combat in D anD D, if it's slow, it like really drags. Yeah, it does. Cause like if you like thought of what you're gonna do, like 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 I'm playing fighter, right? Or Andrew's playing fighter, and we're like, yeah. okay, I know I'm gonna hit twice. <laughs> and then you wait like ten minutes, and then you roll twice, and you hit one of them. And then, and then your turn's done, and like, yep. I think, I think that it takes a lot of work from both the players and DM <clears throat> to make combat fun and interesting. Like, you need you need the work to give flavor to your attacks. You need the work to create. I don't know. Just make it seem like you're doing and being impactful, even when you're not hitting. Even yeah. when you're rolling poor, poorly. Um, right. So, something so. I think you could do outside of like your turns is you could be, uh, while you're waiting, you could actively be par- participating in a conversation with a player taking his turn. Um, and not necessarily like dictating, hey, do this, this, and this, but like suggesting or, these are a couple things uh, you could think about and doing. Um, I watch a lot of Dimension 20 and. Sure. Uh, they, they have a lot of conversations like that of uh, they're in like combat and stuff because all of their combats are like made for players like two levels ahead of them, and if they aren't thinking up some of the, like the best options, they're gonna die. So they all kind of like participate uh, between turns of just like talking of like, okay, this is what your options are. Um, and if you do this, I could do this. Uh, but that ultimately comes down to like individual players of what they're going to do uh, and what the dice right. are being. But like, as an experienced player, you could be lending your experience to these new guys um, and talking them through stuff. Mm-hmm. Which like I think would get him a little more engaged. Yeah. That's the problem. You can always tell another player to throw the enemy and even if it doesn't do anything, it's still funny. Mm-hmm. Sure. Andrew, Andrew, Saturday, you're going to throw them onto my pole arm, and it's going to do double damage. You watch. You watch <laughs> no. and see, okay? Yeah. I don't know about that one, Chief. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. I don't know about that one, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, I'm playing another plus zero intelligence character. 
Yeah, you play uh, a lot of dumb characters. Why are well, you? Well, it's because okay, okay. One. Why are you so most, dumb? It's the it's the most logical dump stat unless you're playing an intelligence based class. Yeah. And unfortunately. two, it makes role play so much easier because you don't have to pretend to be smart. Yeah, that's true. All right, Andrew, what's our next question? Um, it's a bit of a doozy. Uh, posted by you slash Ardosai. Could you some long advice? Uh, period, parentheses, long post. And it is a bit of a long one. I had a player blow up on me and need some advice. <clears throat> so I've been ruling as DM where nat 1s and nat 20s have special effects based on context. A nat 20 attack lets players use a crit chart against enemies. A nat 20 skill check has an extra benefit if it passes the DC. <laughs> And that one attack roll opens you up to an attack of opportunity, and that one skill trick makes you just utterly fail, potentially has detrimental effects based on the context. For examples, an enemy nat one's an attack roll on a player, which grants the player an attack of opportunity as the enemy overreaches and leaves themselves wide open. An enemy nat one's to avoid a player's fireball, not only taking as the normal damage, but also igniting for a minute until it pats itself out. A player gets a nat 20 attack roll, doing extra damage and also giving us con context-sensitive injury to the enemy, a sword slash would thusly do something like cutting the thigh, making the enemy hollow on one leg. A uh, player gets a nat 20 on the save, they manage to dodge all the damage, so just half, through using something to shield the flames or being lucky enough to dodge. The issue I came across was that my party's wizard got harmlessly moved 60 feet away at the beginning of a boss fight. He got a nat 1 on the save, where people who passed the save got moved 15 feet. Those who fail, though the failed gut moved 30, and his nat 1 moved him 60. This is contextually based on the wind and icy flowing around the boss, so I thought it was justified in context narratively and mechanically. There's a means of getting the characters away from the boss at the beginning of combat, especially the squishy wizard. This got some annoyance from the wizard, but the issue truly came up when he used a blood curse on the boss, which got a nat 1 on its save. Narratively slash roleplay wise, there wasn't any reason it should take any other additional effects as the curse was very specific in its effects. And with magic like a curse, it would require the one casting the curse to choose to do so. Mechanically, there was nothing about the context that should affect its stats any more than it already did. At this point, the wizard turned irate and called me out for being inconsistent and brought up that when he got a nat 1 save, he got scooted 30 feet farther, but when the boss got a nat 1, he didn't get anything extra. I should remind him that my nat 120 roll is context sensitive. The ice demon possessed guy doesn't need his blood to be working to move because he's being puppeteered. A fact he knew already, he knew before trying to cast the curse, so there wasn't any reason to alter his movement. The boss was already being hampered by the player. It was possessing, fighting back to cancel its moves. What the fuck? <clears throat> Meaning it hardly ever got an attack out during the whole we know you're in there fight. There was just nothing in context to justify additional stuff like there was for the wizard situation. So how should I have handled it? What the fuck? I'm a little lost. Just I mean... There. Basically, what he's saying is that he told the players that extra stuff would happen on nat 20s and nat 1s, and then... But here, nothing happened on a nat 1 because it was context specific yeah because how we do it is we roll on a chart right so mm-hmm. kind of like a random thing happens but here um the dm makes it specific to the to the attack or save so yeah. oh. 
Maybe. This is complicated because I get the DM side of it and it like contextually and narratively nothing extra would happen, but I also get how uh frustrating it is for a player of like when the DM says he's gonna do something and that he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um I I feel like the DM should have made that curse a little stronger. I don't know what the curse is. I don't know what a blood curse is, so I'm not sure like what to look for. I think it's a spell. I well, I tried looking up blood curse. I couldn't find it. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you could always just add in like a D4 of tickle damage, Hmm. and or like, I guess if you utterly can't think of anything, you could just look at a chart online. There's a plenty of nat one charts out there. Yeah. Uh, but the question is, is the DM justified in not doing anything? <sighs> I mean, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I think he's justified that he didn't do something. It's just a little annoying, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I guess if I was the player, I'd be like annoyed, but I can I can't say that the DM is wrong either. Yeah. And I especially since like the demon is already like getting its moves cancelled by something else and then you're gonna like do another thing to cancel moves. Mm-hmm. Uh like I, that's so annoying for the DM to not be able to do shit during a fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hate being stun locked. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh. So yeah, uh, I guess I guess the DM is annoying, but correct. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Uh, I don't know. It's just really odd. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. It's got a text message. There is an unconfirmed bomb threat at Davenport Hall. Interesting. (laughs) Fun. Thank you for that information. I'm sure that'll be very... Yeah, Davenport Hall and... uh... The University of Idaho. Yep, University of Indiana. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Keep switching what state is this. What? Huh? 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 Uh, okay, our next question. Uh, it's not actually a question, but I wanted to talk about it. Uh, it's from Ouroboros in Weasel form. For DMs who draw their battle maps, let the players join in. Oh god. I've always drawn my battle maps, usually during the session. Recently I've decided to pass out some markers to my players, allow them to help with the process of detailing and giving the map some flavor. Not only does it enrich the setting for the battle and increase uh, versatility that's not a word. I don't think it's a word. It can be a word. Is it a word though? I don't know. It is a word. There you go. Verisimilitude. The appearance of being true or real. 
you learn something new every day. Yes, you do. <laughs> it also gives a great excuse to include players in a fun, interesting way to express themselves. It gives you a way to share one of the best parts of DMing, the creation. Of course, this doesn't work in every scenario. If you want to keep aspects of the map hidden for the players, or there is a lot of really specific, such important details, this might not work. But if you just want to draw a somewhat generic banded cap or cave system or whatever, it's an awesome way to do it, yet in a fraction of the time. Thanks, y'all. I hope you find this tip useful. Uh, I, I want to talk about this because in our last session, um, Andrew like arrived early, and the, I needed this like generic woods uh, battle map. But I was like, hey, catch this and toss him a marker. I, it worked pretty well, I think. We, we we came up with an interesting uh it battle. It didn't, it didn't suck. Yeah, did not suck. It had some uh rough terrain with sucked. roots. There was <laughs> plenty of trees for people to climb in and for spiders to jump out of. We yeah. Well <laughs> for one person to climb in, apparently. And fail and mm-hmm. waste his turn, apparently. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. Oh, spending two turns to try to climb a tree and then have the combat end the next turn. I... <sighs> Drawing battle maps sounds very awesome. Like, it's yeah. not. No, 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 no. It's so okay, time consuming. It it's so time consuming. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 uh, uh, uh. I, I didn't mean like drawing it in themselves. Like, the drawing itself, I meant like having your players draw it too. Yeah. Because, you know, okay. it's just like um, conscripted labor. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? Yeah, you're yeah. just like forcing your players to draw it for you, and so you <clears throat> do less work. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, also, I think that if the players help, they could find more creative things than just one mind. So if you, yeah, obviously, if there's too many specific things or hidden details, you don't want them to. But I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, plus, if they draw like a super annoying obstacle that like deters them later in battle, you could say, hey, you guys came up with that. It's your own fault. Jeez. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you got a point. He's got a freaking point, jeez. Uh, that's all I really wanted to talk about. It's a good idea, and I highly recommend doing it. Uh, just for like generic stuff, though. Anything that I like, I make that it has details and stuff, like a specific building or anything like that. I make on incarnate and print out, which gets expensive. Does <laughs> get expensive? A lot. Of oh, oh, excuse me, sorry. No excuses for you. jeez. Oh, right, what's right. next? So for our next our next question, um from you slash the monster sixty six. PC wanted to become adventurer because they thought it would be fun. So PC basically <laughs> is not is not tragic or motivational. So and they wanted to become adventurer for fun. Is there anything wrong with this kind of PC story? Should I let this be what it is, or should I try harder to get them to 
have a more detailed or inspiring background to give the PC a bit more flair. I think that is a wonderful idea. You know what? Wait, which one? Fleshing at them out for more details or just uh, becoming No, 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 no. Being an fun. adventurer for fun. We don't need more edgy adventurers, guys. I no mean, more dead dogs. I think yes and no. Because, like, I, I don't uh, automatically hate the idea of just becoming an adventurer because it sounds fun. But <laughs> you, you need to have more of a backstory than that because I, I need as a DM I need a way to hook you into the story and have you feel connected to it sure uh, versus just being a random guy who just happens to be there because you thought it'd be fun I'm just some Joe Schmo what yeah, you how, about I guess how I would do it right I would like I would be on the adventure for fun right because like it's your passion, like mm-hmm. or you've always wanted like, to do it. Kind of like design is my passion. Kind of <laughs> like <laughs> like rock climbing or like hiking, right? Where like mm-hmm. you want to go out on an adventure, like you know people who climb Mount Everest. You know, it's kind of yeah, that the they want to do all their life, and uh, it's really awesome. But you you might die too. Oh yeah, Mount Everest is the world's largest graveyard. Makes yeah. And, and the bodies so, just freeze there. They don't decompose. Yeah, it's really interesting because they use dead bodies as like trail markers. And that's yeah. that's interesting. And most and most of the people who die are like the tour the uh, tour guides who have to uh, care for these stupid idiots. Because nowadays it's not no one's climbing because they want the thrill of climbing and stuff like that. They're doing it because they're uh, rich people who have nothing better to do. I'm, I'm sure if you're climbing Mount Everest, you want to be there because it's Mount Everest. But yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, they're 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 not doing it for like the challenge of climbing and be like, oh, this is so cool. They're they just want to. They just want to be there for funsies. They just want to be there for funsies, and then they get people killed. Yeah, it's... that's what's gonna happen to this PC, by the way. Well. Like I'll I'll let if someone makes this character at my table I'll let them do it but then they're getting a bunch of uh, trauma during the adventure. <laughs> you don't come edgy. We'll I'll sharpen you up a bit. I'll make you edgy. Yeah, I mean, what what I would what I would do for a backstory though, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's like instead of you can you don't have to have any tragic backstory. But for a DM to hook a player, they need to have some sort of, like, connection to, like, yeah. the world. So I would just say, like, make a family, make a love interest, whatever. Make friends yeah. that you can meet along the way, or you have to save them from danger or something like that. And then mm-hmm. that will... Honestly, you don't need that much to create a side quest, but you need something to create a side quest. Like, you need some kind of background, right? So... I think that I think that the idea of having a for fun character is a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the character development would be insane. Oh for sure. Yeah, that should be fun. Alright everyone, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Three Goblins, right?
Join us next time at Goblins and Guidance. Alright guys, and why can't Green Goblin ever be the protagonist? Hey.